Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Feels like a Bible class. Maybe I should walk around. I was just praying that I was struck by a thought that when I went to New Jersey a couple weeks ago, I really felt the Lord wanting me to speak a message of rest to that church. It's a big church, probably eight or eight hundred or a thousand, but I just really had the Lord's heart to speak a word of rest. And our work comes from rest, amen. And I think that's a forgotten thing that your position in Christ is the beginning point of everything. And so the more that you're with Him, the more you can actually do instead of trying to do it and then rest. Because we're a people who goes, 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 and then rests, right? But God says, no, rest with me first and then go. But it's interesting in Hebrews because he says, you know, you need to diligently work at entering his rest. Isn't that a funny statement, right? Like, I got to work at resting. But it's not the physical thing that we're talking about here, right? It's the spiritual that I just want to realize he's in complete control, enjoy who he is, what he's done, how much he loves me, being in his presence, and then I'm gassed up to go forward, right? And uh, it's a neat thing because man was created on what day? Sixth, and day seven is rest. You were created for rest. Now, listen, it's not physical, right? But physical enters in there because if I'm spiritually where I'm supposed to be, physically I'll be where I'm supposed to be, right? But if I'm spiritually not where I'm supposed to be, then everything becomes a rat race in my mind. I worry about everything and I have no peace. But when I rest in Him and trust Him, right? All the other stuff takes care of itself, but we live in a generation and a people that what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. And we carry that attitude into our spiritual life instead of seeing who we are and where we are and resting in him and moving forward from that. And um, I don't know, I just had that sense when we're praying. If you need peace or you want peace or there's people you're worried about or thinking about, the rest in your mind so you're not a guinea pig on the... The wheel, right? It comes from simply depending and trusting and being with Jesus, right? And uh, we forget that sometimes because we are active people in our heads. So I just want to encourage you. I don't know. You can, if you want to listen to that sermon, that's not the one planned for today. But it was, it was totally out of Hebrews and the idea that resting in Him is your inheritance and seeing God work. So I think someone needed that word today. I don't know who it is, and that's probably better than what I had planned, but you want peace? Rest in Christ. Rest in his work. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. And when we're working so hard in event to event, and our minds are worrying and anxious, we have no joy because we're not depending and resting in Him. It could be anything, family, work, whatever it is. Um, but you've got to depend and trust in Him 
and you will find the joy you're looking for. Anyways, if you want that sermon, I'll give it to you too. It's online. But today we're in the words of Jesus, and um, we'll make it short because it's raining. So I really felt we had a couple hard Sundays in terms of words to consider. Last week, does anyone remember what we talked about? You can raise your hand. Let's make it like a class atmosphere. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. What was it about, Bob? Condemnation and restoration. That's right. And Andy, you want to add to that? No. <laughs> talked about that in regards to judgment right and we said as we measure people what will happen can be measured back to us so if you're a critical person what's going to happen come on let's make it like a classroom you can tell me if, if you're going to be critical what's going to happen yes sorry that's the way it is if you give you'll be blessed if you criticize people will criticize you if you judge people will judge you and we're to judge to restoration but not condemnation that's heavy duty because I'm like, I'm a major failure in that department. But one of the big things in that is, why do we judge? Does anyone remember, why do I judge? I was talking about myself. That's a harder one to remember. That was a detail. But what, what was the reason? Why do we always look at people in a way to put them down? To elevate ourselves, right? Yeah, forget about our junk because usually... The plank in our eye is what we see in someone else in form of splinter, right? And so the, the application in the end was we got to know who we are in Christ. So the week before was hard too. We started about Jesus said uh, to his disciples one of his first words, follow, follow me. And we talked about is that easy? What? That's hard, because Jesus asks us to do some hard things. And if we're going to do what the red print says, or what it all says, sometimes we don't like that, because we like to pick and choose. We like the blessing parts, but we don't like the self-denial parts, right? We like the part of people getting saved, but we don't like the part of persecution. But you can't have one with the other, right? That's hard stuff. When Jesus asks you to do something and say goodbye to yourself, does anyone just love that? Raise your hand. You're just like, woohoo. No, it's hard, right? If we're, we're people. So I was just thinking, man, that's, that, I, we just, we got smacked twice by God's word, like right in the face. And um, I was thinking today, because scripture's a balance, right? It has hard stuff, encouraging stuff, exhorting stuff, and uh, nice stuff, <laughs> encouraging stuff. So in, in Luke's gospel, if you'll turn there uh, with me, I wanted to turn to chapter 4 and encourage us this morning in the words of Jesus. So try and ask more questions to keep you awake. I might even call on your name. That's what I do in Bible class. You listening, Tyler? Oh, he's looking at me now, boy. What about you, Bethany? 
Yeah, Luke, good, good. Um, whoever watched Mission Impossible, the TV show? Okay, a few. Whoever watched Mission Impossible, the movies? Well, I'm going to have to judge you. You're going to have... No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, anyone remember the theme song? Come on, hum it. Does that ring a bell? It was the same tune in both, right? Yeah, come on. And at the start of it, what always happened? He usually got a, a message, and then it would self-destruct. But what would they always say at the start when he got the message? If you choose to accept it, blah, blah. And then he would read it, and then within five things, right? So today, I was thinking about mission. If you choose to accept it, your mission is exactly the same as Jesus' mission. And Jesus told us what his mission was in Luke chapter 4. And it might not be what you think in terms of some big program or thought. But here it is. He's going to hand you his message. And it will explode. (laughs) His message is this in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the red print. Verse 18. Because he has anointed me. Here it is. To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what Jesus said. So you know the story. His dad just told him about 40 some days before this, this is my beloved son at his baptism. Remember that? He didn't need to be baptized, but he showed us an example earlier in in Luke, and John baptized him, and then God the Father says, wow, I'm really pleased with him. And then what's the next thing that happens to Jesus? He's probably on cloud nine. Wow, God's pleased with me. Not that he didn't know it, but... And then the next thing, the Spirit did what? Does anyone know after his baptism? Yep. Call it the desert, the wilderness. And can you believe it even says the Spirit drove him there? You ever been in the wilderness in your life? Okay, what happens in the wilderness? You face temptation and trial and difficulty. You have a lot of problems. And this says the Holy Spirit sent Jesus there fasting 40 days. Oh, you're feeling good. God's pleased with you. Whoop! You're going into the wilderness because you're going to be tested and challenged. So this morning, if you're like, I don't like tests, I don't like temptation, I don't like that. I got news for you. A part of that private difficulty and challenge is necessary for you to become what God wants you to be in public. You got to face the challenge in private. You got to face the temptation. You have to be victorious with him. And he left in victory from the desert. And it specifically says in the book of Luke that he returned in the power of the Spirit. 
Anyone feel like, oh man, I've been through a season of temptation and trial and difficulty. Well, here's the good news. God is testing you to make you stronger, to make you victorious, that you can come out, that he's going to use you in incredible ways. So when you're challenged, what do you say? That's why he says, I say, woohoo. That's why I say, yeah, but we don't do that. And I don't do that either, by the way. (laughs) But if we look at scripture and the neat thing, Jesus kind of, God's empowered him. He's like launched him into ministry with his baptism. He's going out. And Luke says he's going synagogue to synagogue. And here he ends up in his hometown in Nazareth. And they just happen to be in the book of Isaiah. And they hand him the book, chapter 61. And what he says, what I read, is an exact quotation, a prophecy to him and what he would do. So when he says this, what he's doing is quoting scripture to say, listen, and even says... This is happening in your midst, as you read further down the line. This is what I'm called to do. This is who I am. This is my mission. Do you ever think of those things? What was the first one? What does it say? What's the first thing he's supposed to do? What's the first thing we're supposed to do? Preach the... Here's your mission if you're willing to accept it. What's the first thing you're supposed to do? All together, preach the gospel. Use words when necessary. Right? You know that quote. Preach the gospel. And it says, to the poor. But let me tell you something. We don't have many necessarily physically poor here. But we have a whole bunch of people who are emotionally and relationally poor. We probably live in the loneliest country in the world, though we think we have everything. Mother Teresa said, Shoo, India, they had no, nothing, no money. She came to America and she said, Shoo, they have no relationships. She said, They're poor. They have no community. So people around us are lonely. So what's your number one thing that you should be doing? Preach the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. That he came, died, rose again. That he's here to give you peace and freedom and love and everything you need. And eternity and you can't do it yourself. Basically, his life was the gospel that he died for you. And that's what he did. Repent and turn. Repent and turn. Repent and turn. That's what Jesus' message was over and over and over and over again. And he sought those who didn't have it all together. Simply, number one, your mission, my mission, is to preach the gospel to the poor, all the poor, everywhere. How you doing? I want to encourage you, none of this is possible unless the Spirit of the Lord is with you. You can try and try, 
But you're not going to have much success unless the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because you made it through the desert because Jesus is with you and God's Word is in you. And then you go out and preach and there's success. Number two, to heal the broken hearted. That's the message of Jesus, to heal the broken hearted. And you look through the Gospels, how many times his words, his company healed the broken hearted. No, it doesn't say heal the sick. He'll get to that. But the first is heal the broken hearted. Anyone know anyone who's broken hearted? Anyone know people who are struggling? Anyone know who the heart isn't there? Well, it's our whole society because broken-hearted people seek to medicate themselves. What are some ways that they seek to medicate themselves? And you don't have to think of the big sins. Think of little sins. How do people medicate themselves to heal their broken heart? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Devin, what's that? Anger? Yeah, that's one way. What's something else? How do we heal our broken hearts or try to ourselves kind of... Put a little band-aid on there. Arthur. Complaining. Complaining, yeah. Winning some big ones too, Dev. Uh, food. Food. Whatever. Food and whatever, yeah. <laughs> Drugs, alcohol, relationships, sexuality, money, career, work, success, performance, schooling, grades. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> How are you feeling? Self-esteem, the way I look, a new haircut, new shoes. Let's keep going. New car. You add to the list every way you want. I got a broken heart. So if I have a broken heart, what I do is I try and kind of just... How can I soothe that heart? How can I make myself happy? What makes you happy outside of God is can be an idol for you to soothe your heart. How about sports? How about movies? How about why do people plan their whole lives around vacations? Why do they plan their lives around family because that brings them a little joy because their heart is broken and those that were meant to be good things we twist and we turn them because they're the only thing that bring us joy because we're broken people and it kind of that's our whole society right that's me and you until Jesus came right Jesus came and healed us with his love. But Satan tries to accuse us and bring us back that we're too bad and we get off journey and we have to remember our identity in Christ because in him he heals us with his love. He says, You're good enough. I died for you. You're forgiven. I love you. I'm your joy. I'm your peace. Isn't Christ incredible no matter what you've been through? No matter what you've experienced, because we're all broken people. It was interesting, I know I should say this, but Caleb, we talked to him this week, and you know, you think you might be a perfect parent, right? Like, yeah, we were pretty good parents. And uh, he's like, you know, I don't know if I should tell you this, mom and dad, but you know, you guys were pretty busy, and we had nine kids in ministry, and you know, God showed me that I just need to forgive you for that. 
And I found my identity in him, and I'm not blaming you or anything, and I just know it was busy, and I totally understand, right? But your parents weren't perfect either, and there is no perfect parent, so you can find anything you want, and we do because we're broken until we find our identity in Christ, right? It could be the littlest thing, but it doesn't matter because we're imperfect, and if we're seeking our identity in anything else other than Christ, we'll be broken, but only he can bring that joy and that healing. So it's good. I praise the Lord, right? doesn't matter what it is. It could be busy. It could be your parents were separated, divorced, alcoholics, or they could have just been busy. It doesn't matter. The scale isn't important. The answer is important. And you have the answer. And your mission is to share the answer because Jesus heals the brokenhearted. So you preach the gospel and you pointing to him can heal the brokenhearted by having them look at Jesus. That's his mission. That's your mission to point to him who changes them. Because you know what? This is a big mission field and harder to reach than I think other parts of the world. Third one, proclaim liberty to the captives. And we look at this, oh, those in jail, right? Or those, if we are enslaved by sin, we are what? Slaves to sin. So, unless we know Christ's forgiveness, wham, right? Then we're free. But the Bible says very clearly, if we're not a slave to righteousness, we're a slave to sin. So you're a slave to sin until you know the forgiveness of Jesus, right? So Jesus says, I'm come to release you from sin. Any sin can hold you captive. People who struggle with little sins or big sins plan their life around their sin. Right? I have to watch that. I have to see that. I have to use that. I have to abuse that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter big or small. We plan. We become captive to that sin. And Jesus says, I'm here to release you from that. And by the way, Good things can become sin if they take the place of God. Helping others can become sin if you're doing it for yourself and not God, right? Let's say, well, I don't, I don't do drugs. My life isn't about my next hit. Well, maybe your next hit is to make yourself feel good about helping someone else. And you don't have any identity in Christ, but your identity is in doing something good. Or someone saying something nice about you. So you just replaced a drug with another drug and it's people's comments about you. But the problem is, what if they don't say enough? Like the hit's not enough. <laughs> what if the raise isn't enough? Why don't they say in the work? What if whatever, right? But he's come to release us. I'll say that again. He's come to release us, praise the Lord, right? And then... We have freedom. This is his mission. Aren't you glad that you serve Jesus? I want to encourage you. His mission wasn't to do church. His mission wasn't to do Bible studies. His mission wasn't to have worship concerts. His mission wasn't to have church membership. What was his mission? 
to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to give liberty to the captives. His mission wasn't church. His mission wasn't rules. His mission wasn't anything that we see as Christianity. His mission was to help the broken. What's your mission? Get more people in this building? Why? Because who gives a lick? This is a great number. Our heart is for people because Christ's heart was for people. And he wanted to see people free. And he wanted to see people healed. He wanted to see people come to know the truth of who he was, the gospel. To the recovery, the sight of the blind. There's the physically blind and there's the spiritual blind because Satan blinds people and people are blind in this day and age and it's getting worse and worse where they don't know Jesus or anything about him and they are so blind and Jesus says my message is simple and I've come to show you what it really is so though the veil off your eyes can be shaken and you can see isn't it great when we can see <laughs> You ever, like, stumble that night, a dark night, no nightlight, no nothing? Oh, my toe! Oh, my toe! <laughs> That's how we walk around spiritually sometimes. We can't see. That's the way the world walks around, because they're confused, and they have no idea. And the problem is we judge them for their sin. Why do we judge a sinner for sin? They don't, they don't know Jesus. Jesus never said to judge the world. He said to preach the gospel to the world. The only time he talks about judgment to restoration is for Christians. Right? They're blind. What they need is the blinder, the veil taken off, the spiritual victory. And Jesus allows us to bring spiritual victory when we point people truly to who he is and his mission. Not our mission. Man, what's your vision? What's your vision, mission for the church? Oh, just Jesus. To see people come to know him healed from broken hearts, right? To see them set free. To see them regain their sight spiritually. And I will add physically. Because Jesus still heals today. And I don't know why he chooses to do it sometimes, and I don't know why he doesn't do it other times, but I'm going to believe that's up to him, and I'm going to ask him to do it every time because it's his mission to reveal how great he is. I want to encourage you in the midst of these things, and that's simply it. There's a last one I'll talk about at the end as we close up. But do you know that Jesus lives in you? What do we say when you get saved? Who comes to live in you? What do we tell our little kid? Oh, Jesus lives in you, right? Well, it's the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So what do you have to share to others, this Jesus who lives in you? When you come saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, empowers you. You are not the answer, but you point to the answer that lives within you. You have the ability... Because the Holy Spirit lives in you to share Jesus, to do Jesus for others. 
And if we stop looking at ourselves and what we can't do, and we look to Jesus and share him, we will see him do amazing things. His heart is for the hurting. Is your heart for the hurting? Or do we like, eh? Is that what we do with the hurting? I don't really want to be around them. There's not much fruit. It's a little messy. I want the mess over there. I like my controlled and comfortable life. I don't want to get a little messy. I may get hurt in ministering to them. I've had people say to me, I'm glad you had that person over, but don't bring them to my house. I honestly have had that. I have had that. It was so great you had them over. But don't bring them to my house. And I might have thought that myself. Should we have this person over? Oh, Dad, are you sure? And I'm not saying we're not supposed to use wisdom, but is our heart for the broken? Or is there too much risk in helping people that we might hurt ourselves? You know who Jesus hang You know why the Pharisees got mad at him? Who he hung out with? Who did he hang out with? Tax collectors. The people everybody hated. So it might be the person in the three-piece suit that's ripping you off every week. It might be the broken person on the street, but he wasn't afraid to be with them. He said, I came for the sick. These are, that's the hard part of what he's saying. But what is he saying? Because he's there to bring them freedom and joy and change. Isn't that what you want? Aren't those the stories we're amazed about? All the people, well, well, this person went to Africa and they went to the lowest of the low. Why don't we do that here? Our neighbor. Well, you don't know what they do, Dan. Well, you know what I do? I just want to learn from his heart. And I'm just as guilty as you. But we become so comfortable that we fail to see that Jesus made himself uncomfortable to share the message that would heal people. I think it's absolutely amazing, and I was so convicted. He's come to change our humanness, our difficulty into joy. And I love right after this in the Gospel of John, what was his first miracle? What was Jesus' first miracle? Water into wine. So Jesus goes to a wedding. They run out of booze. They're all blasted, by the way, because they don't even know what the good and the bad is. And his mother says, listen, big problems, no alcohol. So what does he say to her? Well, it's not my time. But what would you be thinking? If you were like a good Christian, what would you be thinking? They've run out. Well, praise the Lord, they ran out of alcohol. (laughs) Right? These people are out of their rocker as it is. Tell them to take it easy. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But this is what got me this week. There was six water pots, right? 
Anyone know how much water was in those cleansing? It was like water to cleanse your hands in and cleanse things. And each of these things held how much? Who's a real biblical scholar here? It says it. Does anyone know? At least 20, it says 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus said, hey, go take some water from there. And it, it becomes what? Wine. And then they come back. That's the best wine. Oh, I can't believe them, right? Think about that for a second. Let's just say it was 30 gallons times six. How much is that? Bob says a lot. But he's an accountant, right? Six times three is 18, right? Six, 12, 18 out of zero. 180 gallons of wine. He could have been rich to sell that. What? And the lesson isn't go get drunk at a wedding. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying in the terms of his miracle is he took the water, which is a picture of our humanness and our own effort, and he changes it to wine, which is a picture of joy in the Bible. And the whole message in here is he's coming to broken water, and he changes it to a whole, and by the way, it even says it's over the brim, to the brim, it says in John to the brim, full of wine. That's what he does in our lives. He takes the junk, the brokenness, the captivity, and he has it overflow with joy because of him. That's what he does in our lives. He takes the brokenness and he makes it joy. The whole picture of that first miracle is I take the junk, I take the water, and I make it into something sweet and something good and something that's joyful. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what he does for you. And so we could say, he says, follow me and it's hard. Yeah, it's hard, but what does he give you? He gives you joy to the brim and flowing over and there's always enough. Is that how you look at Jesus? Oh, you're asking me something hard again. Oh, no, I can't judge. Oh, da, 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 da. And he's like, if you do it my way and I am joy, 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 joy and some more joy and another gallon of joy and some more joy so you're not controlled. That's what alcohol does. Now it's not alcohol, it's the Spirit. Look at that. You are so full of the Spirit continually with Him that it's joy, joy, joy. And life comes and it's hard and more and more. I had enough, I'm full. Have some more. Have some more of Jesus. Have some more of Him. And you have to understand truly who He is and what He's done. And as you see that and feel that and experience that, you have joy. Joy. That's his miracle. That's his life. That's his mission. Because we are broken. These all things, sin, sin crushes you, breaks you, makes you blind. And he says, sin has no power. Because I broke it. I broke it. Hey, is that the way you live your life? This is a big thing. Full of joy because of Jesus and what he's done for you? Or do you get stuck? Do you get stuck captive again and again and again? You're done. You're free. I free you. 
That's the message. The, the message. Just the last word here, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Many scholars believe that it possibly was the year of Jubilee when Jesus came and gave this message. Okay? And that's why he says to proclaim the acceptable year. The acceptable year in the Old Testament was always the year of Jubilee. 7 times 7, 49 plus 1 was the current year, which was the year of Jubilee. What happened in the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament? Does anyone know? Freed the slaves. What else happened? You got back your land. What else happened? Debts were paid. Woo! Wow! Isn't it amazing how Scripture works together? Oh! Well, imagine if it was the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Jesus comes in there and he talks about your debts are gone. You get back what you have in me. You are no longer a slave to sin, but to righteousness. This is the year of Jubilee. You are free. And every year now for you as a believer is the year of Jubilee. Don't you love that? The Old Testament concept of freedom. You know all the popular, I'm no longer a slave. You know the songs we love? Do you believe it? (laughs) Or are you in your room like, oh no, what about tomorrow? What about that bill? I'm no longer a slave. Oh yeah. (laughs) Really? You sing it, do you believe it? You read it in God's Word, do you believe it? This is the year of Jubilee. And for me, this is even more exciting because at the start of this year, I went to some guy with coffee, and he's like, man, I've been praying for the church, and God's showing me, this is the year of Jubilee for the church. And for me, I'm like, well, that's every year. But then I was thinking, praise the Lord, because more are going to come to the realization that their sin is forgiven, that they've been set free, that they are entitled to the land, to walk in it, and freedom, and change, and life. Because that's our mission. To go out and share this truth of His mission, empowered by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that wasn't just for Jesus. People get into words, and I've heard them say, well, that anointing was for Jesus, and it's not for me. Well, maybe specifically at that time for Him, but the same Holy Spirit that was upon Him and in Him is for me today. And if I don't believe that, I don't believe in the truth of God's Word. The same Holy Spirit that empowered, the same Spirit in Him is in us. And if you don't believe it and you read Scripture, like, well, that was Jesus and only Jesus could do that and I can't do anything. Yes, you can. Because it's not you who does it. It's him in you who does it. And he did it and you proclaim it. And it's the same power in us that was upon him. And it is the year of Jubilee. And what do you think they did in the year of Jubilee? Nothing. No work. Back to rest in peace. Because it's not our work. So if they weren't working, what were they doing? Okay, let me put it this way. I just re-upped on my mortgage. Okay? Can you imagine the day when that mortgage is paid off? Right? 
How many have paid off your mortgage? You raise your hand. Maybe there's some of you paid off more. How'd you feel when that happened, Jim? <laughs> you were just like, oh, give me another one? What? You weren't, you weren't like, oh, thank you, Lord. I've heard of people when they get rid of their mortgage, they tear it up. They might not do anything. Throw it in the fire. Shred it. Woohoo! I'm done. No more payments. No more payments. Car payments. They're done. Ah, that burden's gone. Could you imagine a slave being set free? You mean I don't have that master anymore? I don't get beaten anymore? I'm free? Could you imagine the feeling? Even if you were in a city of refuge and released, a slave, a debt gone. What does that cause us? Great joy. We don't work for it, but we celebrate it. And that's our relationship with Christ. We rest in the year of Jubilee. We rest in the truth and we praise him and we worship him and we thank him because every day brings joy because he has healed your broken heart, right? You're no longer poor. I don't care what you say. You're not poor anymore. You're rich in Christ. Amen. You are no longer captive to your sin. You are a slave to righteousness, to good things. You are free. Amen. You are not blind anymore. Can I have a little bit of a response? Amen. Seer of Jubilee, his mission is right here for people who are broken, empowered by the Spirit. And as you point to Christ, with His power, you will see fruit. Have joy. Okay, back to the start. Here's your mission. If you want to accept it. It's your choice to live in Him and to share Him. It truly is your choice. So let's go, knowing who we are, healed, forgiven, free, enjoy preaching his truth. Lord God, thank you this morning for your words, your words, amazing words, amazing words. Maybe there's someone this morning who doesn't feel healed. Their hearts are broken, still captive. Maybe they just needed a reminder. We all do in the scriptures. They need to claim the truth. Help us to believe in what you've said, God. Help us to experience you. As we take communion, I pray that you would remember everything that his body and his blood has done for you, that has freed you, has healed you, has given you sight. We're not called to get sad at communion. We're called to worship and rejoice. Truly, we remember and worship and have joy. 
and we give praise and thanks. We celebrate Jesus. Dave will sing the elements are in the back. Please worship and enjoy him this morning.